Let's stand together. And we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, to chapter 4, verse 1, together this morning. And let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, would you, by your Spirit, soften our hearts that we might hear through your Word the voice of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So friends, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Let's hear God's word. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, do please sit down. And good morning and welcome again to Cottage Church. We've had a wonderful morning already, a choir piece. Wasn't that amazing? That was great. I don't know how we managed to not burst into spontaneous applause. It was, it was an achievement. It was a wonderful, wonderful piece from the choir and beautiful uh, music from the bells. And uh, the weather outside is great. It's going to be a storm this afternoon, but not yet. And so it's a good morning to be in church. Let me just uh, begin with a, with, a, with a story, a personal story, as we get into this passage to introduce it. Uh, while I was at uh, Cambridge as an undergraduate, like a lot of university students, I would take uh, the opportunity to try and find a summer job uh, to help pay for the studies. And uh, it was always an interesting experience for me to see what kind of summer job I could actually get. And so it went like this. I would go into the employment agency and explain that I was at Cambridge University studying history. And they would look at me and say, so what can you do? And I'd say, well, I can write really good essays. Uh, if you want an analysis of the state of Western civilization, I'm your man. And then they looked down their list of summer jobs, and I'd always end up cleaning toilets or washing dishes in some massive industrial cafeteria. Well, one time I was doing this for some enormous staff canteen in the kitchen of this department store in my hometown, and I was there scrubbing away at pots that were almost as big as me, you know, that kind of thing, and, and I was thinking to myself, I used to like these jobs, if I'm honest, because it required almost no mental energy, and so while I was scrubbing away, I could be trying to work out how Nietzschean philosophy connected with biblical theology or something like that, and it's kind of fun, you know, on cloud cuckoo land or planet intellectual or something. And as I was doing this and I was piling these massive pots on the enormous sideboard next to the kitchen uh, sink, someone who was far above me in the staff echelon at this place, whatever his title was, I forget, but this guy stopped beside me and he looked at the pots and patted me on the back and smiled at me and I remember precisely the words uh, he chose. He said this, well done, they are really clean. 
And this made me think, clean? What did he expect? Really clean? Is there a gradation on something being clean, semi-clean, very clean, and then really clean? And, and this sort of remark went on the whole week that I was working there from a number of different people, and uh, it began to rankle, you know, I'm Cambridge undergraduate, I mean, come on. And, and I began to feel like I was being treated as if there was something wrong with me, something deficient or something. And then I found out that the person whose job I was doing that week, he was on vacation, was mentally deficient. And it got me thinking about work and how we treat people depending on what job uh, they do. You see, i just come down from Cambridge, going to a college founded in 1585, and that was one of the new colleges. And All sorts of people patting me on the back for all sorts of different reasons. And here I was, same person, thinking the same bizarre stuff. And now I was being patted on the back for having you know, washed big pots and made them really clean. You see, we often treat people, don't we, depending on what they do. So you go to a party and you ask, what's your name? And the next question is, what do you do? Depending on the answer to that, we put them in a certain level or certain status or in a certain category. And as I thought about this, it seems to me, whether I wondered whether the church, so the gathered church as we are this morning, And then the scattered church as we go about our business at work or at home. That's a category that uh, someone I know uses to distinguish the gathered church, the scattered church. I've wondered recently whether we as a church think enough about what it's like to be church at work or at home, and not just as a gathered church. I went to a consultation of sort of mega successful business leaders and senior pastors on this kind of topic a few years ago, and the business leaders were saying to the senior pastors, we need to hear how our work fits with our Christian identity, how our work is a ministry. Well, of course it is, or it can be. And in fact, the Bible uh, does talk about work in that kind of way, and this passage this morning is one of those classic places that are often studied to get good principles for Christians in the working world. And basically what it's saying, this is the headline, the main sort of theme this morning, if you want uh, an easy handle. Basically what this passage is saying is simply work for Jesus. You see, it's saying this this work can also be a ministry, the working world. It's a service. So Paul, slaves, Paul uses that same word to describe himself. In the beginning of his letters, sometimes he says, Paul, an apostle, a slave of God, a service to. This too, at work, can be, should be, if you're a Christian, a service, a ministry. It's a way of serving Jesus. And so the point of this, what it's trying to do for us, is it's trying to get us out of the sort of trap of viewing our work as separate category to what happens at church, the gathered church. And get out of the trap of viewing work as sort of nine to five, you know, another day, another dollar, a sort of matrix-like trap. Get out of that and see and transcend that, see 
how work can be spiritual as well, can be worship as well, can be ministry as well. Now, how does it do that? Well, it's all about the gospel. The gospel has this impact. So in the letter to the Colossians, Paul is saying that Jesus is supreme over everything, and therefore he's sufficient for everything. And then he applies it to the working world. So if you look at your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 11, he's connecting these dots. Jesus is supreme and therefore sufficient, and therefore chapter 3, verse 11, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. So because that's true, because Jesus is supreme and therefore sufficient, it applies even to the working world. Even there, because Christ is all in all, even that can have a sense of ministry of spirituality if done according to the principles that we're going to look at. So this is a, this is a change of perspective that Paul was urging on us. Because of a change of allegiance, we're serving Jesus. Because of that change of allegiance, he now wants us to see work in a different way, a different perspective to serve Jesus. It's for Jesus, work for Jesus. And he does it from two angles. First, the employee, and then the employer. So first then, the employee have this perspective, work for Jesus, for him. Now, this is verses 22 to 25 of our passage. And what it's telling us that working for Jesus, now, Paul says slaves, but there's an application that we can legitimately make to employees, and that's a matter of the eye, of the heart, and of reward. So let's just look at those those four things. There's a legitimate application to employees, a matter of the eye, of the heart, and of reward for employees working for Jesus. Now, one, this is a legitimate application from the situation historically of slavery to employees. Now, I just need to do a bit of backstory here because often these passages are used by people to say that the Bible supports slavery, and it does not and it did not. What you've got to remember is that the ancient institution of slavery was not the same as that with which we are most familiar, the pre-Civil War slavery, which you are familiar with, I am familiar with today. That's what we tend to mean by a slave. And in fact, you almost need a different word to describe what the Bible is talking about here. And so some translations use the phrase bond servant. So let me just explain that with some examples. So for instance, if in the ancient world you were sick and you went to a doctor to help with your medical issues, in the ancient world, chances are that the doctor could be a slave. So in the ancient world, slaves held positions of professional expertise. It's a very different kind of world, a very different kind of institution. Uh, in the ancient world, slaves were frequently managers of very large estates. So if you went to extremely rich person's uh, estate and uh, many different fields and a mansion and that kind of thing, the manager of that could well be a slave, high responsibility. And in fact, sometimes slaves, though they could gain their freedom, which is another distinctive of the institution. They could gain their freedom. Though they could, sometimes slaves chose not to 
because of affection for the family. They felt a part of the family sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that slavery, even that kind of slavery, was the best thing since sliced bread or whatever. I'm just saying that it was for some at the time a legitimate, almost career move, tending the property of a rich person. And that's very different from slavery before the Civil War. We don't need to go into the barbarity and grossness of, of, of that institution. We're all familiar with it, but it's just very different. I'm not saying that slavery of any kind is a good thing, nor is the Bible. I'm just saying that the kind of slavery here, a domestic house servant, bond servant, was very different from what we think of when we hear the word slave. But then also, having get that context, we also need to hear and understand why, in terms of this backstory of how it applies to employees, we need to also understand how the radical implications of the gospel, that Christ is all in all, undermined even the ancient institution of the slave. So, for instance, Philemon, in the book that bears his name in the Bible, Paul sent him back a runaway slave that had been converted through Paul's ministry. And he was sent back with a specific instruction to Philemon to welcome him, and I quote, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Or again, Paul specifically says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, as he's explaining to the Christians how to deal with, now they've transferred their allegiance to Master Jesus, what do they do with the situation in which they were born and which Jesus found them? What, what, what do you do with that? And he says, 1 Corinthians 7 Verse 21, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So that's the ideal. There's no question about that. But the reality was not everyone could. And that's the pastoral situation that's facing Paul and various churches and here in the letter to the Colossians. So then, given that you cannot, how, how then do you live in such a situation if you have to live that way? You're powerless to change it. And so Paul tells us, what he says is, you can work for your heavenly master, not the earthly master and the ultimate allegiance. You're working for your heavenly master. That is, you can bring spirituality, you can transcend that uh, situation. Now, I know and you know that, yes, some Christians have misused Bible texts to support slavery, but that does not mean that the Bible supports slavery. Uh, people in power always trying to gather authorities to support their power base, whether from a, a religious text or from some other political text or some father from the past or whatever it is. But the Bible no longer is a slave as a dear brother. And if you can gain your freedom, do so. And so it was this, this radical implication of the gospel, no, no slave nor free. Christ is all in all. That's what Paul proclaims. The radical implication of the gospel undermined the institution of slavery, and so it was Bible-believing Christians, of course, most famously William Wilberforce, who opposed the institution of slavery at the time. And, of course, there still are, sadly, slaves in parts of the world that need the same radical implications of the gospel to oppose it. But it was that, this radical implication of the gospel, that led to the love for our fellow man and woman and the undermining of that institution across the British Empire. So it does legitimately apply to what we're doing now. Let me show you how. Having explained the backstory, 
and then taken away some of the ammunition, I hope, from people who accuse the Bible of supporting slavery, that it does not. It applies now to employees in these ways. First, a matter of the eye. So he says, doesn't he, can you see, not by way of eye service, or not only when their eye is upon you. So here's how this works. Because we serve Jesus, Jesus, and because Jesus is always watching, what does that mean? Well, it means we work hard even if our human boss happens to be looking the other way. (laughs) Why? Jesus is never looking the other way. So what does that mean? Well, it means we don't quickly change the computer screen from the sports to our work email when our human boss walks by. (laughs) Or, you know, we're not sort of surfing the internet on YouTube, unless your work is YouTube, which it may be for some people here, I don't know, but... It's a matter of the eye, the eye of the gracious master. I like the story of Charles Spurgeon that I shared with a few people this week. Uh, Spurgeon interviewed a serving girl in a domestic situation who was said to have been recently converted. She recently, you know, said that she'd become a Christian. And Spurgeon, like a good pastor, was trying to find out whether she really was a Christian. And so he said to her, so what gives you reason to think that you're really born again? And the woman said, thinking, well... Now I clean under the rugs. Christians work for Jesus. It's a matter of eye service. And so we clean under the rugs. Only he sees that. So it's a matter of the eye. It's also a matter of the heart. So work at it with sincerity of heart, with all your heart, because you're working for Jesus. So the eye of Jesus is not like... Sauron's eye, you know. It's not the big brother watching you, that kind of thing. No, it's the eye of Jesus. You're working for your Savior. He's redeemed you. It's a, then a heart, a love service, a heart service. So you don't just go through the motions all the time. Your heart is in it. Now, work can be tough, but when it's for Jesus, ultimately, then it puts the heart back into you. This thing you're thinking about when I say work can be done for Jesus. I love the story of Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, who above her, and I checked that this was accurate this week, I'd heard it apocryphally, I wanted to check that it's really true, and it is, above her kitchen sink in their home, she used to have a little motto And uh, it was a a sign, a little motto above the kitchen sink uh, Ruth Graham had. And it it used to say, divine service dash performed three times daily. The sink, it's for Jesus. (laughs) That email, it's for Jesus. She was obviously a remarkable woman, uh, Ruth Graham, apparently also on her headstone for her, for her grave, she had a sort of motto as well, and it, it goes like this, construction completed, dash, thank you for your patience. A remarkable woman of God. So it's a matter of the eye, a matter of the heart. It's also a matter of reward. 
So Paul says, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. There is no partiality. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that how I clean dishes or how I make multi-million dollar deals. There may be people here this morning who are thinking in that scale of finances. Either of those things, it doesn't mean that that, that kind of work, whichever it is, is sort of legalistically earning for me treasure in heaven. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that the fruits of being a real Christian is serving Jesus in every area of life, Kids Harbor, and we, we need more volunteers there, that's a ministry, serving Jesus there, serving Jesus at work, serving Jesus at home, not compartmentalizing, all for Jesus because Christ is all in all, serving Jesus in every area of life, that's the fruit of being a Christian. And that fruit is going to be rewarded. Here's a phrase that I've often used that comes as a sort of summary statement of the Puritans teaching on this, which a lot of people find helpful. It just goes, in this, goes like this, all our works are Christ's work in us, you see. And so there will be reward for that fruit, for that work of grace in our lives expressed by working for Jesus in every area of life. So what does that mean? Well, in other words, you may not get the promotion. You may not get the recognition. You may not get the appreciation But if you're serving Jesus, if you've changed that allegiance to serve Jesus, you have this perspective, you're serving Jesus, you will get the reward. So part of the change of perspective, how we look at work from the angle of the employee is working for Jesus, the change of heart that issues in this fruit. And that means a matter of the eye, a matter of the heart, a matter of the reward. And this slavery is very different from the kind of which we are familiar. It's undermined by the radical nature of the gospel of Christ, that Christ is all in all, and applies then to the matter of employment today. But what if you are a master? Or to put it in contemporary language, what if you are not the 99%, you are the 1%? Well, the Bible also speaks to that, appropriately enough, I suppose, given the usual proportion of masters to slaves in any society, it just uses one verse, uh, but one truth-packed verse. So employees work for Jesus, and then second, employers also. You you have this perspective as well. You also are uh, doing this, you've got charge of this, but you're, you're really working for him, that perspective. And this is, uh, of course, chapter 4, verse 1. And as you look down with me at that verse, you may find it helpful to realize that the word for, you probably will find it helpful, the word for master at the start, of, uh, 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 at the start there and at the end is the same word as used for Lord in the previous verses. It's a helpful little hint of what Paul is saying here. So his point is this. Jesus is Lord of all. Christ is all in all. That means he's utterly sufficient. Why? Because he's totally supreme. (laughs) 
And in him, therefore, Christians, if you've made that change of allegiance to worship the Lord of all, there is neither slave nor free. We are all one in him. Now that means we work for him with our different responsibilities. There are different responsibilities. Paul identifies two different kinds of categories of responsibilities. But we work for him, and that applies even to the boss. Why? Paul says, because he too has a boss. What Paul is saying is that this is freedom. It it frees the employee to work hard. Uh, Christians should be the best workers on the face of the planet. Uh, I suppose probably some of that, you know, the phrase Protestant work ethic, however you understand that, the Christian work ethic, it's a matter of the eye, the heart, and the reward. We work hard, faithfully. We respect those over us. To him who deserves honor, give honor. But then the boss, the 1%, if you want to use that kind of terminology, well, he or she also does the same. He or she has a different set of responsibilities, but he or she is not masterless. He or she serves the master as well. And his or her ministry is defined by that allegiance and needs to have that perspective. And Paul says specifically it means that it needs to be done fairly or justly, this provision needs to be fair or just. The way we treat those under our care needs to be fair or just. And what does that mean? Well, here are a few thoughts from that uh, principle that Paul gives to uh, masters. So provide fairly by allocating what is in accord with service. So he says fairness, and that's not necessarily the same as equality or equal provision. Fair provision is not necessarily equal provision. Every child knows that. So those who work more earn more. Those who create more earn more. Fairness is not sameness. Now exactly how that works out in your area of responsibility, if you have to make those kind of judgment calls, it's a matter of great wisdom. You'll need to pray and seek the guidance of the Spirit through the Word. But Paul is allocating this responsibility that's in accord with service, fairness. And then, of course, for all masters today, those in charge of businesses... There's the issue of profit. If we don't make profit, we cannot make provision. Without profit, there could be no provision. I heard one business leader say something like this, churches, schools, and missions are wonderful consumers of profit, but businesses are the only creators of that profit. And there's probably some truth to that. But provision is to be made, uh, according to Paul, in a way that's fair, that is, in accord with ethical values and moral principles. Now, again, that's a hard thing to do. I'm just pointing out for us that we need to be seeking to do that. Why? Because we're serving the Master, the Lord. And and what's more, not only does this fairness in serving Jesus give us some handles for what we need to be striving to do, it also gives us purpose and meaning because it's all for the master, for, for us and for everyone who's uh, under, our, uh, under our care. Peter Drucker, who's now dead but was once the, the great management 
uh, guru for a lot of people. Peter Drucker used to say that people work for a cause, not just a living. And there's probably a lot of truth to that. But here's the thing. What greater cause could be there be than working for Jesus? What higher calling? What, what greater joy? What, what higher motivation than working for him? And to create that culture where it's for Jesus, to whatever is appropriate within your context, but represent that sense of, of I'm serving a master too, and therefore I have responsibilities, permeates the whole culture with a sense of purpose higher than simply our boss or our bottom line, but it's for Jesus to honor him. And of course, being a boss is not for wimps. <laughs> it's tough. And this perspective also helps with that. So you've changed allegiance if you're a Christian. Now he's saying change perspective if you're serving Jesus at work. But it gives you the confidence, because you're serving Jesus, to make tough calls and lead in tough situations. It's for Jesus. Here's how this can work. One uh, attorney uh, general, uh, the idea of confidence to move forward and make tough decisions and lead. One attorney general who I'm told was a man of faith uh, said uh, that uh, when he was in that position, he no longer is, but when he was, whenever the newspapers reported on a particularly tough issue, this is what would happen to him. He would receive a plain envelope with no return address from San Diego, California. <laughs> and, and inside the envelope would be a piece of lined paper with nothing more written on it than Psalms 91. And Psalms 91 has words like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So if you're a boss, you need that perspective. You need to take off the ultimate burden and know that it's ultimately Jesus and He is your refuge. You need that change of allegiance. You need that change of perspective that it's from Jesus as the Almighty, that, that Christ is all in all. And that can give you the confidence to shake off the critics, do what must be done for the sake of the Master, even if it means making some mistakes along the way. And that is true for all of us. We all have leadership responsibilities at home, at work, most of all over the, our own lives and hearts. But if it's for Jesus, it gives me the confidence to move forward with my life. There's a well-known parable uh, that illustrates this, and it, the parable goes a bit like this. Imagine, if you will, with me, a man stumbling under the weight of a pile of bricks. He's got some container on his back, and it's got all the bricks in it, and he's, he's stumbling along, going up a hill, up a road, this big pile of bricks, and he's struggling, uh, struggling carried along uh, this path up the hill. There he is. And another man sees him and comes up to him and asks him this question, what are you doing? And the man with the big pile of bricks looks at the guy who asks him and sort of says incredulously, what do you think I'm doing? I'm carrying a great big pile of bricks. And off he goes up the hill. 
A moment later, another man comes along, and this man is also carrying a big pile of bricks in a large container on his back. He's sweating profusely, panting as he climbs up the hill under the weight of this great big pile of bricks. He also gets asked the same question by this, this other man and to the second guy. What are you doing? And this man answers uh, this time a little differently, though. He replies, well, I, I'm trying to make ends meet. You know, I've, I've got to do something, and uh, I'm trying to make ends meet for myself and my family. And so the two men under this pile of bricks keep on going up the hill. Finally, though, along comes a third man, And he's also struggling under a great big pile of bricks. The bricks are sort of spewing out the top of the container on his back. It's massive. He can hardly keep from dropping them. He's stumbling. He's sweating and groaning. And you can almost see the blood vessels popping out on his forehead as he trudges up the hill. And this third guy gets asked the same question by the same man. What are you doing? This guy replies... I am building a cathedral to the glory of God. Perspective matters. It changes how you look at life. You need the allegiance for Jesus, and then you need to learn to look at life as it really is true that Christ is all and all, and that means for your work as well and your home life and for your own heart. So imagine then a world where Everyone in every job knew that they were working for someone who loved them, cared for them, wanted what was best for them, watched over them every second of every day because of a new heart by the Spirit of Christ, was motivated to serve that person, Jesus, all the time. Imagine a world where every boss knew that they were serving a master who loved them wanted what was best for them and watched over them and who one day called them to account as well for everything they had done as well as everything their employees had done and said and thought. And how they entreated their employees and was given by the same Spirit of Christ the power to lead with confidence, the grace to make mistakes and start again. That perspective that They too, employee and employer, serving a master, Jesus. Now imagine such a world. That's what Paul is describing. That's what the gospel is intended to do to our world. A world that's influenced by the redemptive power of Christ. Not just the gathered church, but the working church world as well. Let's bow and pray together. With that perspective based upon the change of allegiance in mind. Perhaps you're someone who doesn't serve Jesus at all. Maybe with this vision of what it can do to your life and to your world, to the world, Would you come and serve the Master? He alone is true. He will pardon 
sinners, therefore pardon you. Would you serve him? And for those of us who have changed our allegiance to Jesus, would you grasp this perspective because Christ is all in all. He is supreme, therefore he is sufficient. And there is no place on the face of this planet or this universe that he does not call his own. He is all in all. And would you therefore grasp this perspective for your work, your home, your heart, to realize that serving Jesus is what is best. Father, we uh, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth that serving Jesus is what is best for us. We pray, uh, Father, that we will repent of any areas of our lives that are not submitted to master Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to grasp this freeing vision that we can do all things for Jesus, we can serve him at work, and so transcend with uh, Christ as our Lord Whatever situation we are in, whether we are seeking work, whether we have too much work, to do it all for Jesus. Thank you that we can do that. Thank you. It can be a heart love offering. And uh, we praise you in that name of Jesus. Amen.